Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor and I am the Vice Chair of the Association and the producer of this podcast. I'm so delighted you could actually join us today. We're going to be continuing our Christian Schiller lectures from the book Christian Schiller in His Own Words, which will be read by Peter Cancel. But I just wanted to remind you to take a quick look at our website, which is nape.org.uk nape.org.uk where there's quick links to our YouTube channel where you can see the latest videos that we've been producing absolutely free for you where you can then go and subscribe and also to remind you if you want to become a member it's absolutely free if you're studying if you're a student at the moment preparing to become a teacher it's free to become part of the association and we'd love to be here to support you in whichever means that you need that to be so do go and check that out at nape.org.uk Hope you enjoyed today's episode. This is Peter Cancel from Christian Schiller in his own words. The idea of freedom. A talk given to the Primary Education Conference on the 10th of July 1953. It has been suggested that it might be interesting and perhaps even profitable to take one of the ideas we've been discussing and carry it forward into a further field of thought so that this last meeting of the conference, which is an ending, might also become a beginning. This, for a short while, I shall now have a shot at. In any discussion we hear, unless we go to sleep, what others say. But what conditions and often determines the argument is what they silently assume, what they take for granted. When we were very young, our world, though very small, lay open. Not like an oyster which waits to be opened, that is the world of adolescence and youth, but lying open, waiting to be explored. Since every experience was fresh, nothing was peculiar. Since everything seemed possible, nothing could be taken for granted. But as the years pass and our world expands, the pattern of our experience becomes more and more defined. We face an increasing variety of new sums, but we try to do each in one of the ways we've done others before. We protect ourselves against complexity and fatigue by remembering and applying an appropriate rule. In other words, we acquire the habit of taking much for granted. Of course, to perceive the assumptions of our neighbour is easier than perceiving our own, since our own tend to appear as special revelations of truth. But in a discussion group, we usually manage in time, consciously or unconsciously, to comb out the tangle of unspoken assumptions present, so that we can talk together smoothly, without too often coming upon a hard knot. And often, the value of the discussion derives as much from this combing as from any original thought. Now, in the discussions we've just had, I have noticed, as doubtless you have, a knot which might well be combed further. It is a knot which comes from a tangle of assumptions about the idea of freedom. Freedom is an idea which has adventured through history since recorded time. It has fascinated and excited man, especially Western man, as if with it he could more fully satisfy his being 
and over and over again he has tried to hold it firmly to fashion into practice, only to find that it appears again in a new form and in part eludes him. To the ancients the idea of freedom appeared usually in the setting of bondmen and free. We sometimes forget that 2,000 years ago the great mind even of Plato himself could conceive of civilization only as resting on the shoulders of slaves. Men struggled for their freedom and finally in part gained it. But freedom had little place in the lives of women and children. In modern times we've learned to maintain civilization without slaves or serfs. Women have become free citizens with men. But although we've grasped the idea in one form, the social relations of the citizen, we find that it still eludes us in another, the personal relationships of the individual. And what of children, who cannot be citizens if they remain children? It is not by chance that now such attention and care as never before are devoted not only to children but to the individual child. The slow and the quick, the dull and the poor, the halt and the blind. It is an expression of the spirit of our age. What this age stands for we shall be told long after we are dead by wise historians who, looking through a telescope, will see it in better perspective than we who face it at our feet. But who can doubt that the spirit of this age in this country has a concern for the welfare of the individual? The individual begins when he is born. It is then that the problem of freedom for us begins today. If for our problem we seek help from the prophets, we should probably be referred to Rousseau. He began his great book, Man is Born Free. But if you would contemplate for a moment on a newborn infant, naked, unseeing, helpless and utterly dependent, some of the amazing assumptions under this statement would be apparent. Had Rousseau sat up at nights helping with babies he begot instead of abandoning them, he could hardly have written a sentence so supremely misleading. For our purposes, we should do better to turn from the prophets to the practitioners. Though in England, even practitioners have little honour in their own country. I suppose that of those who have contributed most to our problem, there first comes to mind Robert Owen and Froebel a Welshman who worked in Scotland and a German who never crossed the North Sea. Owen conceived the idea that young children could grow best if they could live the life of young children and he established a school where they could do so. Froebel conceived the idea that freedom is not a present to be given or taken but a human power whose use grows or fails to grow and he spent his life helping this power to grow in children. But of course no less contribution has been made by those thousands of teachers, unrecorded and inglorious, who generation after generation have laboured in the classroom, each in his or her own light. 
that children might live more abundantly. It is from these that we inherit the conditions and the circumstances of our present problem. A problem which has no final answer, but whose solving is a process in which it is now our turn to play our part. Let us first consider what we've inherited. Let us go to a school and see. This school is in Yorkshire and it has rather poor children from 5 to 11 with a nursery class. I was there on a sunny summer day and the nursery class was out of doors. Some were playing with water, some with sand and some were just playing. One small girl of four years old had a jam pot full of green paint and a paintbrush. When I first saw her, she'd just finished painting a green bracelet round her left wrist. And as it dried in the sun, she added some embellishments. The bracelet finished, she stirred the jam pot and looked around. Conveniently near was an easel on which was a large sheet of paper. She stirred the pot again vigorously, and with a great wallop on her brush, she sloshed it onto the paper. It made a glorious mess, and she dabbled her brush in this green puddle, round and round and to and fro, making it bigger and bigger. After a while, she paused, turned away, and stirred the pot, and potted and played. But shortly she was back at the easel again. She didn't touch and puddle, but very carefully she drew her brush parallel to its edge and at a short distance from it, making a clear band of colour. This she did again, making a second band inside the first, and she again made a third band like the others. All this time she stood quite still and moved only the tip of her brush, but her whole body was intent. and her whole being radiantly absorbed in this act of, for her, supreme command. Time ceased while she painted. Then she stopped for some or no reason, though the bands were far from complete, and again she turned away and stirred the pot and potted and played. But a second time I saw her back once more at the easel and now she was making little marks of the brush in one corner, first resting it softly on the paper and then lifting it up again and leaving behind a tiny touch of colour. This she did many times, here and there, to right and to left, arranging her marks in a pattern. Again, her whole body was intent, her whole being absorbed as she touched the paper with infinite gentleness. Margaret is learning to paint, said the teacher who had joined me. Certainly this, but surely also more. That was a single swallow. Here is a flight. This is also a school for children from 5 to 11 in the south. It's a large school with over 400 children and it has a small size hall. This hall has been provided with some large scale PE equipment ropes and rope ladders which hang from the ceiling, movable climbing frames some nine feet high, poles, planks, hen ladders and ordinary ladders, all on a scale which until recently 
sought to appropriate to children of secondary age. This equipment has now been in use almost two years. This is what I saw a month or two ago as I sat on the stage which unfortunately takes up space at one end. The doors opened and a class of 14 nine-year-old boys and girls burst in. Without any words, each ran to some piece of apparatus and ran swinging or jumping or climbing or all three, except for one or two, who paused and looked around before making their choice and getting to work. This scene of movement continued without cessation. From time to time, a boy or girl changed from one piece of apparatus to another, which was vacant. But there was little pause, and each continued it completely absorbed in his or her activity. After 20 minutes, the teacher, who had been watching closely and helping any who needed help, and these were few, walked into the middle of the floor. She clapped her hands and said, Time to pack up! At their own pace, first one, then another, and another, came to rest and went out of the doors. After a couple of minutes, the hall was empty. During the whole of the period, no boy or girl hit, bumped into, or in any way interfered with another. There were no accidents, nor near accidents. No boy or girl played the fool. And having seen this same class 18 months earlier, in similar circumstances, I noted that they had greatly improved in both the variety and quality of their movement. This class of nine-year-olds was followed by another of tens and then by another of sevens. There was a different teacher in each case and all teachers are different. The teacher, the children, were as absorbed, as vigorous, as free in their choice of movement in one class as another. We are all familiar with scenes such as I have described. Talking of such a scene, we should probably say that Margaret with her paint and the seven and nine and ten-year-olds with their equipment were free. What do we mean by freedom? In this context, the idea expressed by free has no political or social significance, but relates to the person. And it asserts that each individual boy and girl is able to choose what she or he will do. But the word able has a wide significance. It means both that opportunity and choice are present, and also that personal capacity or power to choose is present. Unless both power to choose and opportunity for choice are present, no child, woman or man is able to choose or is free. We are born helpless, with no capacity for choice, but from birth the power grows. To give children opportunity for choice beyond their power to choose is foolishness and may be disastrous. To restrict opportunity within their capacity to choose inhibits growth and may induce fear. We are coming to understand increasingly that it is fear of freedom. Fear of having to choose when choice cannot be avoided, which has expression in defiance, violence and thuggery. The young thug and wanton are not vessels steering a wrong course. They are vessels without a rudder. 
they have not grown in their power to choose any course. Freedom is not a gift which is given or taken, but a power which grows or fails to grow, and it's a power of special value to children at school. School is a place to which children go to learn, and children learn best when they exercise not only their imagination, their intelligence and their memory, but also their growing power to choose. Margaret was the better learning to paint because she had opportunity to exercise her power to choose, as I could well see when I saw her again some two years later. She had learnt not merely the skills, but had grown herself a freer person to use them. So also with those children learning to move. For us today, the problem of freedom is how to help children grow in their power to choose. The solution depends on creating a climate of feeling and a range of material which aids growth. For this, we need teachers who do it and are themselves freer persons. Already, so many teachers have cultivated latent powers to meet this demand that there is no reason to think that others cannot and will not develop the powers to satisfy this demand. Of course, this is an assumption. No one can prove it, and it is one of the smallest assumptions I have made. For instance, I have assumed that there is no organism whose welfare is as important as that of the individual. Aristotle assumed that the state was a superior organism with superior claims, and there are many in this country who make the same assumption. I have assumed that with young children, play is an important part of learning. John Wesley, a great and good man, assumed the contrary, since he that plays when he is a child will play when he is a man, and many still assume likewise. No one can prove which assumptions are true, but if we are to think further, we must be aware which form the basis of our thought. The idea of freedom has adventured so much in recent years that our thought has failed to keep pace with practice. Free discipline, free activity, free choice and other such meaningless terms reveal our failure to think out and provide even a language in which we discuss what we think. We have arrived at the edge of a fresh field of thought which is urgently in need of exploration and surely no body than this can explore it better. <laughs>